Hello and welcome to Bringing Education Home. I'm Herb. And I'm Christina. Together we share ideas to grow stronger, healthier, happier families that are both inside and outside the box. If you like the show, be sure to follow Christina on Facebook. And please leave us a like, review, and comment on your favorite podcast platform. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Joe Lakovich. Joe is a former classroom teacher, a school psychologist, a university professor, special education director, applied reading researcher, and national radio talk show host. He is the author and developer of The Failure Free Reading Program, Don't Close the Book on Your Not Yet Readers, Joseph Reader's Talking Software for Non-Readers, Verbal Master, an Accelerated Vocabulary Program, Life Skills, a School-to-Career Language Literacy Intervention, and the Test of Lateral Awareness and Directionality. His research can be found in the Australian Journal of Learning Disabilities, the Journal of Learning Disabilities, Special Services in the Schools, the Journal of At-Risk Issues, the Florida Reading Quarterly, and Neuropsychology and Neuron. A noted speaker who is listed in the Outstanding Teachers in Exceptional Education, Who's Who in American Education, and Who's Who in the South and Southwest. Dr. Joe has spent the past 30 years training tens of thousands of teachers, parents, and administrators across the nation on how to meet the unique needs of students with chronic reading failure, non-readers included. There is help. That is a beautiful bio. Thank you so much for joining us. And as a former teacher sitting next to me, who's one of her specialties was reading this, I, I am going to be more of a spectator in this, but I am really, really <laughs> looking forward to this conversation. Well, thank you. I am thrilled to be here. And I, like you, look forward to having just a frank and, and honest and open uh, conversation. So I'm ready when you are. Wonderful. Well, like Herb said, you know, I was a teacher of 27 years and I taught mostly in the lower elementary school. Okay. So second, third, fourth grade. Right. And so those kids are prime in the middle of those reading learnings and reading strategies and unfortunately reading failures. And one of the things that really bothered me the most as a second grade teacher is that when kids would come to me and they couldn't read, my administration would say, oh, they haven't failed enough. They yeah. need to be a little Ooh, bit. I haven't heard that in a while, but you're absolutely correct. Go on, continue, please. A little bit farther behind before we can give them special services. It's all up yeah. to you to remediate them. And I was just so frustrated with that. And even though there was lots of different programs, it sounds like you have an excellent program. So my main question there is a little bit of a story, but what got you into this reading passion? Why did you develop these programs? What was it that sparked your interest 30-ish years ago? 30 plus years, yeah. Um, uh, the same thing, uh, okay. frustration. Uh, frustration on the part of uh, of myself not being able to, to help these kids. Um, nothing is more frustrating than uh, than wanting to help someone and not know exactly what to do. Yes. So uh, in the beginning, um, I was on a quest. I had the opportunity to uh, uh, to visit and meet with with some at at that particular time, some of the nation's um, uh, uh, leading uh, researchers and and leading advocates for the teaching of reading. And mm -hmm. and what I found, uh, Christina, uh, was that um, I'd rushed 
to get the the front row, be in the front row and listen to them. I, and uh, all of a sudden, midway into the uh, the talk, I could hear the chairs starting to uh, to move and I could hear people leaving. And then I, I'm one of the few ones uh, left. And one of the things that I found is uh, while they could tell me what was wrong, they never could tell me what I could do. Yeah. And uh, and so what I wanted to do more than anything else and what I have done and, and I enjoy it is to create curricular solutions for for teachers, for administrators and also for parents, something that's um, easy to use, something that that is not overwhelming, but most importantly, to um, uh, that's fast acting. Yes. Yeah, because that's the other frustration is in the school district when I was teaching full time, you know, we would have students who would get behind and then they would stay behind, even though they were getting extra services and stuff, they would still stay behind. And it's like, how can we speed this up if at all possible? I mean, granted, we have to go with the child learning style, but it's like, how can we speed this up and get them caught up so they don't feel behind? So that is awesome that you were able to find some of those solutions that are a little bit quicker acting. Yeah, what we what I saw was um, it, it, is that we're underestimating the reading potential and the ability level of the kids. Mm-hmm. That whether they're six, sixteen, or sixty-six, the enemy is not the teacher, the parent, the student, or the administrator. The real enemy is the instructional approach. Change the approach, and you will change that performance outcome. And so, uh, I literally have been on a quest to develop. Um, the best instructional components um, to allow uh, students and adults uh, of all ages to demonstrate and to reach their their full potential. That's excellent because I, you know, I like being in the classroom. I know this. Some students were, well, I'm going to get into some really interesting education words here. So there was this whole model of whole language for a while. Yes. And then there's the whole phonics language or a phonics model. And then there's this other model. And then there's something that's kind of in between that makes most of them, right? And so after learning and teaching for 27 years, I knew which components of both parts help my students the most. So I'm kind of curious, can you tell me what your programs are kind of based on? Is it kind of one side or the other, or have you picked out some of the best components of both? Well, actually you just answered, uh, you just gave away my talk. So I, I want to thank you for allowing <laughs> me to be here today. And no, um, to, to tell you the truth, if, um, if there if there was one thing that you learned firsthand is that uh, if I, if I could take, um, the 12 leading reading researchers mm-hmm. and put them in a room. Yeah. Uh, Herb, I would put an armed guard in a single exit and tell them that they couldn't come out until they had a universal definition of what reading is and more importantly, how it should be taught. The truth of the matter is, is they would starve before they ever got out that door. I was going to say not 11 of them would starve to death and the 12th would, would, <laughs> write something down and have a consensus. (laughs) So if there, if there is a universal though, and there is one universal reading research fact that you can take to the bank, you can, it, it has never been violated. That is, and Christina, you've already said it, that all programs work, but 
they don't work for all students. Mm-hmm. That that uh, there there has never, and I mean never, ever been any large scale universal reading research project to show one approach to be 100% effective for all students in all situations. It doesn't exist. And in fact, I operate on what I call the 30% factor. Um, No matter what program is being used right now, you can almost uh, bet that up to 30% of those kids are not going to be successful merely because of the approach that's being used. So exactly. So I'm I'm going to come in with the out of the box now. So you guys okay. are in the box stuff. <laughs> so there is a lot of conspiracy theory and truth in the dumbing down of America and the attack on our education system. Um, we we were both um, born in the '70s, so yes. our education was a lot lot different than it was now. I mean, the way we could read in second and third grade. So. So it's not so much to me, I, I, I see this, it's like this disagreement between educators. And one of the things that they do is they try and teach to the lowest common denominator to bring the lowest people up. So instead of working with each group in their own so that the kids can learn on their own and come up, they take the entire school system and grade level and drop it down to the least the, the least smartest, the least capable person in the class. So that so it's a slowing down. So so yes, children are much, much more capable. And some are capable in some ways and some are capable in the others. The personality differences, the learning differences, none of that is is actually taken account of in the school. And so it's like they start teaching one method and then the scores start dropping for a certain group of people. So then they change the method to teach this other and then it starts. So they slowly just start lowering everything, trying to bring the the lowest mm-hmm. up. They bring the smartest down until they. So I, I just through this little bit of conversation right there, I saw that that thought kind of emerging. And yeah. so so that's Go part on. of the that we are doing this getting kids out of school and using the parents to start educating the kids yes the parents have that individuality of their kids know their learning styles better so what do you think about what i just said and do you think it's necessarily a conspiracy or do you think it really is this this um inadequacy just slowly dropping because of of how we're trying to help people Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take exception to what you said in one part. And then I and and I think we're both coming. I think we're both coming to. To to where we want to be, but a little bit differently. My experience and Christina, perhaps you can uh, help me on this, is that generally speaking, believe it or not, um, the schools are not dumbing down. Um, for the most part, if you look at your your old days in statistics, there's such a thing as a normal distribution. Mm-hmm. And what you find is that that in you, the center is where really where most of the schools function. They work for the kids that are that are there, that are in the meat of the curve, so to speak. The kids that are getting getting beat up 
and are most frustrating to the teacher are generally the kids that are on either side of the uh, of the spectrum. The kids that are testing at the bottom of the bottom percentile, or and here's the important thing for your uh, for your parents here, they're also seeing it for the kids that are at the top of the percentile. So what you've got are large segments of kids at each extreme. You've got kids who are coming to school and are failing miserably, uh, and they're they're in second grade, and they've come to school every single day since kindergarten and failed every day. So they've already they're already in the process of dropping out of school yeah. at second and waiting to sixteen years old to finish the process. But on the other side, you've got the kids that are coming in well above the kids in the school and they're bored. And so you've got you've got failure on one side, boredom on the other. And in the in the middle, believe it or not, schools do a relatively good job. That's that 70 percent factor that we keep uh, that I that I talk about. Yeah, you know, that's that's a really that's a really good point. I, I hadn't really brought all of that in. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for, for challenging me. That was, that that's really important. I'm going to yeah. incorporate some of that. Now. Well, yeah. That's and, really and good. again, what we're saying, and it keeps on coming back to my mission is clear. Uh, my mission is to find is to allow students to reach their potential, whatever that potential may be in the special ed side. Sometimes the potential uh, we work with kids who are cognitive challenged. We've got kids who who have um, uh, who are at intellectual levels uh, at 45, 50. But on the other side, we also work with kids who are coming in with IQs 130, 140. They're sitting in a third grade classroom and 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 they're bored out of their mind because they can read four, five, six, seven grade levels above, and they're not being uh, they're not being challenged. So one of the things that we found is the key is is challenge. That's the word. What's their potential? And and what what I found in my methodology in the way that it was set up is that not only do we find <clears throat> we have 11 entry points into our program and not only do we find where the kid is at in terms of frustration whether they're non-readers all the way up to SAT ACT level material but that's actually our starting point. We start the kids at the point where they say, this is too hard. I can't do it. Now, yeah. using you. the methodology, what are these same kids going to say when 20 or 30 minutes later, they're reading that exact same passage with fluency and comprehension? And then all of a sudden, things change. All of a sudden, they start to believe or they're saying, yeah, the parents are saying, I knew they could do higher than that. So um, it's the methodology, it's the instruction, it's the approach that, that we found that, that is extremely beneficial for these kids. Again, um, the current mantra when it comes to kids on the lowest side of the spectrum is uh, slower, lower, and less. Yeah. Um, and what we're finding is that ain't going to fly. Uh, our mantra is faster, higher, and more. So we we start kids a minimum of one to two grade levels higher than where their conventional instructional level says they should be. Interesting. Okay. 
I, you know, everything you were just saying just so matches up with my teaching style because I, yeah, was, I can feel it already. Well, uh, Herb, we'll see you later on. Christina and I are going to have a little dialogue, right? I, I told you, I told you at the start, this was going to happen. <laughs> Reading was, was her was specialty, I, things, yeah. I, I, but she's been there. She understands it firsthand. Yeah. One of the reasons that the former teacher is in there is, is because just a few years ago, right towards the end, um, she had an entire second grade class come into her classroom who didn't even know the basics of uh, didn't even know the basics phonics didn't know the sound yeah. combinations yeah. so we had a second grade classroom because the administration had said oh we're not going to teach the writing aspect of it and so the reading aspect of it got left behind so she got a second grade classroom that, that couldn't even write the abcs down correctly and Absolutely. it was amazing how second graders went from a kindergarten level over half the class hit the third grade level within the year and yeah, you changed the approach yeah so it went from kids who oh these kids can't read to no it's not about the reading it's it's about they haven't been given the chance and once they were given the chance and the pressure and the the desire to move forward then they they chewed it up and ate it up yeah and one thing i'd like to uh also um uh continue with is i could um uh th there's a lot of confusion in terms of nomenclature in terms of terms yes um so uh herb uh reading comprehension mm -hmm. now this is not a trick question reading comprehension how many words did you just hear it's not a trick question reading comprehension Reading how many, words? how many words did I just say? Reading comprehension. There's two words. Two words. Now, do you know that if, if I would get that same group of reading researchers into the same room that we talked about and said reading comprehension, mm -hmm. do you know that the vast majority of them would have heard three words now i know you're saying what's he talking about yeah that's interesting what they heard was reading and comprehension oh. and and far too many individuals um confused the two and for many when you say reading they believe that's merely recognizing words um and comprehension will come at a later time I want you to know that from this moment on, when you hear me say reading, I'm always equating it with comprehension. Yeah. Reading by my definition is gaining meaning from the printed page. Yeah. If the student is not gaining meaning from the printed page, then there is no reading taking place. And what we have a lot of times are, are um, kids Mm -hmm. who who are being taught how to recognize words mm -hmm. uh you you put a passage down in front of them they get all the words right when they read it orally but they don't pause at commas they don't stop at periods mm -hmm. they read with a totally expressionless voice and even though they're they're getting 95 to 100% accuracy on the words on the page you ask them what they've read Christine and what do they tell you I'm not sure 
I'm not sure. I don't know. Beats me. That was so hard with parents because I would have parents walk in my room and say, my child's reading at a fifth grade level. I'm like, awesome. I will do my best to challenge your child. And then they would start taking their homework home and it would still be at the second grade level. And the parent would get totally frustrated with me. Why is my child getting this easy reading? It's like, because they're reading words. They're not actually reading. They're not more meaning. They can't tell me about it. And the parents were like, no, but they're reading. And they're like, no, because they can't tell you about it. If they can't learn from it, if they can't repeat it and explain it, they're not really reading. That's correct. And, and, you know, I'm, um, I, I'm big on a lot of, uh, a lot of three word uh, statements. Um, yeah. And I'm going to give you a couple of three words that, that I think we can share immediately with parents. But before good. I do that, I want to give you one uh, one key that you can share w- with parents. Yeah. And that is uh, the one, the one word key to, uh, to dramatic success in improving reading comprehension. Would you say it's worth listening to me run my mouth if I give you that one word key? Absolutely. And I think I know what it is. <laughs> uh, here it comes. Vocabulary. Vocabulary, vocabulary, vocabulary. No student can read, by my definition, comprehend above their language level of comprehension. Elevate their vocabulary and you will elevate their comprehension. Far too many students are coming in um, with limited vocabulary. And that's especially true when we talk uh, in the regular classroom where we're talking many kids that are coming from another culture, many kids that are learning English as a second language, many kids that are coming from homes in which standard English is not the is not the spoken language or and I'm not talking about kids coming from another culture. I'm talking about generation upon generation upon generation where it's the language of the home as opposed to standard. Yes. So so the first thing is, is if you're going to elevate comprehension, you have to be you have to be a uh, you have to be a language teacher first. And when I say language, just like reading and comprehension, I mean, vocabulary. You have it. We're talking about. um, Vocabulary, vocabulary, vocabulary. Exactly. So do you have an example of how parents starting out when they're really young can help start developing that, de- that, that vocabulary. What do they, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I am, um, uh, I'm, I'm blessed. I have uh, five children uh-huh. and all of them, by the way, went to title one schools. I wanted all of my kids to, to, to participate in, in at that time, public education. Uh-huh. I have 13 grandchildren, but when we, um, when we had our, our first, the baby who's now just had her fifth child. Uh, but when Tess was, uh, was in the womb, uh-huh. I would, uh, I would speak to Tess and I'd say, Tess, this is your dad speaking. And I want to tell you how much I love you. And the word for today is psychology. And <laughs> we would, and we would start to talk. Yeah. So now I get her to my, to my first of uh, my three part, uh, three word series. And that is um, input precedes output. Yes. Input precedes output. Um, We now know 
that from a purely developmental standpoint, there is at least a six-month gap between what someone can understand receptively and what they can express. And sometimes we forget that. Um, So for parents, um, the more you can involve your child in language, even and, and sophisticated language, the more you are preparing them for future academic success and more importantly for success in life. The number one, in, we are a highly verbal society. You are judged the moment you open up your mouth. We now know, we, well, not now, no, I'll tell you this. O'Connor did a study in which he tried to say, wouldn't it be great if we could give a predictive study in which we could actually determine uh, future success in occupations? And um, he gave this, and he found the key ingredient where at the ba- at the end of this, the, the person or the people who score the highest ended up being the chairman of the board. The people that scored the lowest were those that, that were working on the, on the factory floor. Yeah. And you know what that, you know what that variable was? Vocabulary. Vocabulary. Yeah. Vocabulary. Yeah. So if you want to uh, forget school, if you want to give your kids um, uh, who will then be adults, um, the foundational success it's it's vocabulary and that again comes back to reading because the best way to be exposed to more and more vocabulary is by reading books lots that ceo started reading business books mm-hmm. and as he's reading business books there are vocabulary words yep. in that business book that the person who's working on the line isn't going to know He's yep. going to start going into investments. He's going to start learning the language of investments yep. of risk and um, exposure. And yeah. Return on investment <laughs> and and assets and liabilities. And, and those vocabulary words open up whole new aspects of life. And if you're not reading, then you have to rely on other people who are to be able to bring you that vocabulary. So which, really which now to, and I'm picking up on, I don't want to stop you, but I want, I know time is valuable. I want to pick up on exactly what you said. What you're discussing is content specific vocabulary. Every discipline has content specific vocabulary that is unique to that uh, to that discipline and the, and so when you go into a when you go into a new area of learning you are learning content specific vocabulary in addition to that when you are reading you're also reading and here's the good news a lot of times people say well nobody can understand or or relate to all of the words that they're going to see in their life when they're reading that they'll be exposed to over 5 million words. You can't memorize 5 million words. How are they going to do it? That's true. But the, and by the way, this is research from Frida Evert, University of California, Riverside. She's magnificent. What the researchers found is that the English language is highly redundant. While yes, there's a, that there's a corpus body of 5 million words. When you actually get to the actual task of reading, Herb, 
there's a core body of words that are used over and over and over and over again. Those words are called, uh, there's a core body of what's known as 2,000 words. When those 2,000 words are taught and mastered, are you ready for this? Kids will be able to recognize 90% of all of the text they'll see in grades one through nine. Yep. Now. That makes sense. Sight words. Now, what I've done is I found a way in which to present those words in the most meaningful fashion because traditional interventions believe that in many ways these words have to be taught via flashcards. Mm-hmm. Flashcards ain't the way to fly. They have to be taught using key features that are unique to learning. And one of the features is they have to be taught within a meaningful context. And one of the reasons why a lot of kids can't read is 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 because they're they're being put in text, T-E-X-T, that is not meaningful to them. That there are what we know roadblocks to reading comprehension. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things parents have to look for. Grade level is not the issue. When you're getting ready to buy books for your kids or when you're getting ready to 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 work with your kids in in material or in stories, you have to look for the for the emerging readers in particular. You have to look for these roadblocks to comprehension within the text. So I know, Herb, you're going to say, what are those roadblocks to comprehension? To which I'm going to say, Herb, that's a great question. Let me tell you. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) The roadblocks to comprehension. Number one, uncommon names, dates, and places. Mm -hmm. And everything is predicated on three more words. Reading is relating. You can't read for meaning something you can't relate to. The more you know about a topic prior to reading it, the more you will understand it as you read it. So when you come to uncommon names, dates, and places, very confusing for many kids. Idiomatic expressions, figurative speech, very, very confusing and especially confusing for for English language learners, because the English language is is just littered with uh, uh, idiomatic expressions and figurative speech that we take for granted. and They have no idea because in many ways they're literal learners and, and they can't be literal learners in a figurative world. You don't say. <laughs> uh, um, grammar. How something is written impacts. Uh, we now know that simple, positive, active, declarative sentences are the basic unit of comprehension. And so that I don't don't uh, confuse you, let me give you an example. The man drove the car. The car was driven by the man. Now, in terms of the meaning that I'm trying to convey, there's no difference yeah. in the meaning contained in the man drove the car as opposed to the meaning contained in the car was driven by the man. Would we agree with that? Yeah. Yes. Which sentence will be read easier? The first one. Yeah. The because it's a simple, positive, active, declarative sentence. And the second one, it's a passive sentence with more words written in a more cumbersome manner. Yeah. 
So you've got a lot of, for example, a lot of preschool and, and early uh, uh, material for, for a lot of our kids. While they sound uh, wonderful and cutesy, they're written in awkward sentence structures. You see an abundant amount of commas. You, a, a lot of the words aren't even, uh, a lot of the sentences aren't even sentences, they're phrases. These are too confusing for our kids. And now I save I save the best for last. Okay. The most important ingredient for emerging readers, regardless of age, repetition. Let me say it again. Repetition, 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 repetition. If I have you to fight that in my classroom constantly. My parents were like, why are my kids reading the same story five times? It's because they need it. Why do they need it? <laughs> Tell because, us why. Because you have to develop the neural networks necessary. You're absolutely correct, uh, correct Christina. Uh, and one of the things, too, is we found, um, and I want to pause for a second, because sometimes I get so excited. In, in getting excited, I don't give you a chance to, to, to talk. But um, in the 60s and the 70s in particular, when we still had the the old days of basal readers, and that was a controlled vocabulary, where stories were written off of a controlled vocabulary to uh, to create mastery of of that vocabulary. Does that make sense? Yes, and I loved those. They needed some updating, and I have another series that's updated that's helped a whole bunch. But yeah, exactly. That controlled vocabulary that can be built. That's what kids were able to grow with. By the way, you just you just described failure-free reading material, but awesome. we, we won't go there. What they found was this, Herb. They found that, that if a publisher or an author was going to introduce a new word in a story that the kids had not seen before, they used as a rule of thumb 20 to one in that story. They, they would present that, that word at least 20 times. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So now I, in, I help on. Christina. She was a teacher. Uh-huh. Teachers bring their homework home and get their family to grade papers. <laughs> I graded a lot, a lot of vocabulary. And even in my my mind, there was times where I was like, okay, we've had this vocabulary seven, eight times this year. Why is this word coming back? And again, it's a different situation. It's a different scenario. It's bringing it back in. It's the right word, but in a different usage. So again, yes. it's, it's that repetition that that, that sinks it in. And so yeah, one of the like phrases is MEMC, multiple exposures and multiple contexts. Uh, a creative redundancy, parents. How can you say the same thing over and over again? And and for parents and for parents of preschoolers, they know uh, they know how, how. Sometimes you're saying the same thing over and over and over, but your child needs it in order to absorb it. But I I want to make one point clear. Yeah. So we had we had for years we had this twenty to one ratio. Mm-hmm. Now with the with the movement on decoding and sounding words out, and I'm not going there. Okay, I'm not getting I'm not getting into that argument. I just want to illustrate a point. Do you know what the 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 current ratio is now for introduction of new words? Yeah, under four. Yeah, under say- four to one. Wow. Yeah. And you see, that ain't going to fly for our kids. Now, for the parents who are on the other side of the spectrum where their kids are flying and don't need it, it's too boring. Mm 
But for the kids that uh, our uh, our kids who are really, really significantly behind, you can't say it enough time. Repetition is the mother of learning. Absolutely. Thank you. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cause you just like, you like just been putting all these little cherries on everything I've known throughout my career and how to help kids learn how to read. So one thing that I want to focus on just a little bit here sure. um, with our families, a lot of them are like, well, I think my child is struggling, but I'm not really sure. Well, can you give us a couple of points that really point out? Yes, your child is truly struggling, and maybe you should look for maybe some help or some extra guidance in reading. What what can they kind of look or, for? Or or if it's they're just actually trying to hit something a little too hard for them. Yeah. So, so where where do you decide on an age kind of a specific like okay now it is it is an issue and they do need remedial help. Well, a lot of it is dependent upon where they're at at this moment in time and how they feel about themselves. Let's start number one. You know, a lot of times people talk about motivation. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I go back to my five kids. My kids uh, were blessed. They went to school and they were in Title I schools and they were B's and A kids. Every time I went into the school, uh, uh, all I'd hear about is how wonderful my kids are. Uh, that, How much motivation did it take for my kids to go to school on a regular basis. Not much. Not much. But yet on the other hand, you've got kids where they, and a lot of times people don't know it. The kid is vomiting at night over the thought of going to school. Uh, the kid is, 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 uh, is getting into tremendous um, uh, difficulty in school is finding out that it's easier to act up and get thrown out of class and go one-on-one -on -one with the, uh, with these, with the building wait. principal, then staying there and feel like a fool. Yep. So the number one is how's your kid doing? Um, if they're, if they're significantly behind the parents know that. Um, the other is do they comprehend what's being said? Mm -hmm. Um, again, we go back to the notion of the kids that can read by the definition of words, but you ask them what they've read. They don't understand it. Uh, they're totally confused. Uh, you're surprised that they went down this path. Um, so you have to look at it, it all. It all centers on number one, their performance. And if their performance is poor, then you've got to look at two things. You've got to look at either the approach that's that's occurring or or the material that's presented in front of them. M my intervention, 90, 99 percent of the interventions that are out there are based on what I call the RD theory. Yeah. My mine is based on the CS and and believe it or not, uh, Christina, you uh, you talked about it right in the beginning. RD stands for uh, Herb, the remediation of the deficit. Uh, the kid, the kid doesn't have a good ear for sound, so to speak. So what we're going to do is we're going to put them in a smaller group and we're going to stress more sounds. Yeah. And then if that doesn't work, we're going to put them one, one, one on one tutoring or we'll give them a label and uh, and they're yeah. off to the races as to why they can't. Yeah. Now, that's that's the RD model, the remediation of the deficit, no matter. And, and sometimes that that model can take two, three, four years of of excruciatingly slow um, growth, if any. Now, my my notion 
is the CS model. And, and less than 1% of all of the interventions are based on the CS model. And Christina, I know you're going to say, Dr. Joe, what does CS stand for? And I'm going to say again, that is a great question. That's a great question. CS stands for capitalizing on strengths. Yes. There is a concept out there, parents, called neurodiversity. Let me tell you what that means. Fancy word just means everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Everybody's different. Everybody comes into this world with, with a certain amount of strengths and a certain amount of weaknesses. And, and a lot of times what happens is your child's strength doesn't match the method being taught. Yep. And I'll give you, and, and again, I was told, don't get into the argument of phonics versus whatever, but I'm talking to parents and, and you're my audience. And I was also told, don't talk about audience, but you are my audience parents. Exactly. We want the parents to know what's going to help their kids. That's what vibrant family education is. So the first thing that I'm going to say to you right now is what's the dominant reading approach going on in this, in the classroom. And if your kid's not doing well, then you have to think, well, maybe there's another uh, alternative. Now, let me give you what I mean by that. Uh, you, you, you talked about it before. There, for a hundred plus years, there's a thing called the reading wars. Yes. And, and they're still out there. There are people in different camps. One camp believes one thing, one camp believes another thing. And, 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 Based on that camp, a lot of times that's that's the approach that's being used because it works for 70% of the kids. Right. Exactly. Yep. But we're not talking about those 70% of the kids that are being successful. We're talking about the kids that are outside the camp. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of kids out there that initially don't have a good ear for sounds. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and if they're in a and and if they're in a a uh, approach that stresses sounds first and they don't have a good ear for sounds, what's going to happen to them in the classroom? They're going to have a really really difficult time. Yeah. And one of the examples of that is any of our kiddos with speech articulation. They always had a harder time learning because they weren't able to produce the sounds like everybody else. So it totally makes sense that if you're not a sound strength person, it's not going to help you to learn. Read. And now let me continue because your 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 comments are are just right on, just absolutely spot on. Thank you. So now the kid doesn't have a good ear for sounds, and I'm not. I want to make this. This is not an anti anything. I'm just. It's it's an illustration of what what can occur. Yeah. So now the kid doesn't have a good ear for sounds. So now he doesn't have a good ear for sounds. And as you said in the beginning, if he is or she is fortunate enough to fail well enough. Right. Which means that they are so far behind. Mm-hmm. They've got to get referred or something has to be done. Yes. Then they're judged, sadly, mm-hmm. on their ability to do the sounds. Yeah. So what do they get for an intervention? They get more intensive sounds. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's how it goes. Now, 
My argument is, under the belief, and this is the thing, under the mistaken belief that if the kid can't do sounds, he or she can't go any further. Yes. Now, I'm going to give you three words that that are the argument to that. And I, in fact, I'll give you two. You give me the third. And, I, and again, okay. I'm going to say it again. I'm using it only as an illustration. Okay. okay. Dick and Jane. 75 million kids learned how to read for meaning and fluency using that approach. Yep. Is that the the basal readers, the structured readers? Yeah. And here's the other thing. And the do gap. you know, do the you gap. know when phonics was introduced in Dick and Jane? Hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't. Now. Who killed Dick and Jane? The 30% yes. that couldn't do well with Dick and Jane. Yep. And they couldn't do well because they were not sight-based learners. They were skilled in sounds. And when you put them in the sounds, they went from being an F student to an A student. Yep. And what I'm trying to share with parents is you got kids who are Fs who could be A's if we could get them a viable strength-based alternative. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Joe, this has been such a wonderful, wonderful conversation. You've given our parents so many things that they can look at and think of and continue to, you know, mold their reading program because we also work with homeschool parents. So, you know, homeschool parents, I hope you really listen to a lot of this and think about if whatever you're doing isn't working, switch it up, do something different or get some support. Right. All yeah. And I want to make this, I've got to make this clear. Yes. I am not anti-phonic. Yep. I'm just trying to illustrate that right now in a lot of states, that's the dominant approach. So if we're dealing with parents who are finding that the kids aren't doing well, then there's an alternative. Now I would, because if we were, if this, if this were the forties, fifties and sixties, I'd be sitting here saying the same thing about if your kid can't do Dick and Jane, there's a program out there called phonics. Yeah. I don't care what it is, as long as it, it it's going to give kids an opportunity to tap into their strength. Exactly. And the other is vocabulary, vocabulary, vocabulary. Please so, develop that vocabulary. So the overall arching is if your child is having problems reading, that will translate out farther into life. Don't give up on them. There are so yes. many different approaches to reading that if they don't, if the one that they're working with right now isn't right, let's find one that is because reading is so important. It, it Reading increases the vocabulary. It increases their life. Once they start to learn and, and then if they start to love learning, then it just opens up the whole world for them and they can go into any direction they want. Mm -hmm. So make sure don't don't limit your child's reading. So if they're failing, they're just failing at the current model they're using. Find a different model. And, and Herb, you couldn't have said it any better. And and right. so they know, you know, we're um, uh, I. I love to do this. I hope my passion is coming through. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and we do have a website, www.failurefreereadingonline.com, www.failurefreereadingonline.com. 
And uh, when you go there, you can actually um, schedule an appointment. And when I say appointment, it's not for a, it's not a charge, but I would love to talk, uh, schedule a time when we can talk. Uh, I can uh, uh, the beauty, the, the beauty of uh, the methodology that I use in particular is um, if it works, you're going to see it within the first couple, two, three lessons. If it's a good fit, you're going to see it almost immediately. So we have that vehicle and we are establishing um, because of the uh, the large segment of parents who are, are home homeschoolers and looking for alternatives. Uh, we are we are creating some really nice self-pacing, but also parent guided um, programs and not only for for the kids who need to have foundational reading, but also um to create critical academic vocabulary up to the SAT, ACT level material. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Joe. It has been such a pleasure talking with you and sharing all of your passion about reading and talking about all of this and helping our parents. You have been a delight. You've been full of wisdom and tips for our parents. And we really, really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you. It's been an honor. And I, I, thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and it's so nice to be with someone who's been out in the trenches uh you've been there christina and uh and and so have i but uh there's nothing finer than uh putting a smile on the face almost immediately of of someone who doesn't believe in themselves and yes. and and doesn't want to sit who's middle and high school kids and don't want to sit in front of screens and smack of dancing bears and bunny rabbits um, the dignity, pride, self-respect, uh, there is hope. It can be faster. It can be higher. It ain't your kid. It ain't you, uh, change the approach. You'll change the outcome. Yeah. These kids really do want to learn. They do want to fit in. They do, they do want this, but the way it's presented, they're just so broken inside a lot of times that again, they're acting out, they're pushing it away. Yeah. They, Herb, you know, if you always do what you always done, you always get what you always got. Yep. So uh, you got to look at different. And uh, we're here, www.failurefreereadingonline.com. I'd love to talk to you. We'll have a good time. Again, lovely man, lovely conversation. If you do need help with reading, definitely reach out to, to, to Dr. Lakovich. You know, we're, yeah. we're here available too. So don't don't let your child just keep falling down. Exactly. Bring them up because I mean, once once they get the reading down, then the then the world just opens up for them. So at, at any level, so let's let's make sure that we can help our families, help our children, and, and just you know raise all of us up. Audience, thank you for being here today, Doctor Joe. Thank you for being here and for thank you. find those golden nuggets in the in the audio and the video. And we will talk to you all later. Bye for now.